0: You know, God is awesome. He's always reaching out to us, every one of us. Whatever it takes to get our attention and ultimately to the glory of his name, he will do. Today I'd like to share with you a little of what God is teaching me. Bible stories are more than just Bible stories. They hold valuable lessons that we can learn to help us on our spiritual journey. I wanna look at one of these stories, just a part of it, share with you a couple of my personal experiences and learnings and leave you with a couple of takeaways. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I ask that you would anoint my lips at this time, that your Holy Spirit would go into each home and each location, each device, and that for everyone who is listening, that they would hear the words coming directly from you and that their lives will be changed, transformed, and improved as a result. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'd like to reread our scripture for this morning, and I want to take it back a little bit so that we have a little bit more context. It's found in Exodus 15, and I'm actually going to read from verse 20. And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, And all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in His sight, and will give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. So let's break this down just a little bit. Verses 20 and 21 start with the worshiping and the praising God because he delivered the children of Israel from the Egyptians by parting the Red Sea and allowing them to come forth on dry ground. So they were excited and just thrilled and praising God for his deliverance and that he threw the, the horses and the horsemen and everyone into the Red Sea and they drowned. Verse 22 and verse 23, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. In the wilderness for three days without water. I understand that one can survive about three days without water. After that, it's uncertain. I'm told that it may be five days, depending on one's health status and maybe the environmental conditions. But in the dust and the heat of the wilderness, they were at their end. They felt it. They were fearful. Then they were angry. Then we go to verse 24. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Yes, They found water, but it was bitter. Can you imagine being parched with thirst and then being given what you believe is a glass of refreshing water only to taste it and realize it tastes like vinegar? And they did what we often do. They looked to the one that they could see for a solution. They fussed and murmured against Moses, They had just witnessed the most spectacular rescue mission with the parting of the Red Sea, walking on dry land, millions of them, and through a body of water and forgot who was responsible. It wasn't Moses. Moses was only a spokesperson. It was the God of heaven. Then verse 25 and he cried unto the Lord, speaking of Moses, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. As he did before, and as he would do many times in the future, Moses cried out to God for help. The Lord showed him a tree, Moses threw the tree in the water, and now it was drinkable. Now, I imagine that just the way it's being, being read is not quite how it happened. In my mind's eye, I'm thinking Moses is pleading with God for a solution and as he's sensing and receiving the word from the Lord and pointing him to a tree, he makes his way towards that tree. So the children of Israel and the other leaders are saying, where is he going? What is he doing? He's going to a a tree. What is he doing there? He's, He's cutting it down. He's breaking it apart. He's, what in the world? He's putting it into the water. What is that going to do? He's putting it into the water. Really? Well, it's interesting to me to note that often what God asks us to do makes no sense to man. But it's a blessing to know that regardless of what he asks us to do, if we do that which he has instructed, It takes care of our need. So we have to not remember and be, or we have to remember that what God says has purpose. And even if it doesn't make sense to us, it's what we need to follow. Then the last part of 25 and then verse 26. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I have put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord which healeth thee. Hear, O Israel. Now hear this. If you are diligent, and the word diligent here means careful and persistent in your effort. In heeding God's voice, do what is right in his sight, and again for emphasis, give ear to his commandments, keep his statutes. So he's asking us to listen, learn, take in, and then act on those words. Your health is assured because God said so. Now I struggled a little bit with this because And as you might know, there are individuals that I know that I believe are following God's word, they are doing what he asked, as far as I can see, and yet they may um, succumb to illnesses or have issues with their health. And then it dawned on me, you know, Debbie, don't be so short-sighted. You need to dig a little deeper and understand what God is really saying here. So even though... We may experience illness and suffering and even death in this world as a result of sin. What I hear God saying is, we will not succumb to the eternal death that might be provided or given to the Egyptians or those who don't believe God. But that my eternal life is assured to see him in glory. This is what I love about this story. I am so ancient Israel. God performs a miracle in my life, and when I'm faced with another trial or difficulty, I kind of forget his previous interventions. I wanna share with you a few of my Red Sea experiences and what I've learned from them. I was working night shift in Berrien Springs, Michigan. Came home, went to bed, and got a phone call. The phone call was from my friend, Allison. Allison said, Debbie, I, I know you probably just got home from work, I, I want you to hear Julie. I'm, I'm a little concerned about, she sounds kind of funny. Julie was her daughter, she probably was about three or four years old, and she put the phone to, to Julie and she said, did you hear it? And I'm a little bit shaken from sleep, and I said, well, no, I, 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 didn't, I didn't really hear anything. Then she said, well, wait, let me, let me try again. She put the phone t- closer to Julie's mouth. And I immediately woke up with a start. What I heard was groveling, not breathing, but this raspy uh, urging and, and searching for air. And I said, Allison, what, what's going on? She said, I don't know, but my husband's not here, I don't have a car, could you take me to the doctor? I said, absolutely. I jumped out of bed, threw on my clothes, ran to to the car, jumped in, drove to her place. Now mind you, she lived two blocks from me, so it wasn't that long. Talking with Allison later, she said, it felt like an eternity waiting for me. She and a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, Devon, were there waiting. As soon as I drove into the driveway, they jumped in the car, and we drove down to uh, the doctor's office where um, she had a, a meeting, or should I say a visit, with a pediatrician, Dr. Johansson. So she went immediately to the back with Julie to see Dr. Johansson, and Devon and I just sat out in the waiting room. Now, after a while... Dr. Johansson came and kind of burst through the doors. And he said, Debbie, come with me. So I joined him, and we went into the, into the room, and he said, I'm going to need your help. Now, Dr. Johansson was a pediatrician who I had worked with for quite some time. You see, I was a labor and delivery nurse. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, we had worked closely together, so he was well knowledgeable about what my skill set was. And so he said, I'm going to need your help. And he sat down and he explained to Allison and to myself what was going on. He said, Julie has a condition called epiglottitis. It was inflammation from a virus that attacked the flap in her throat. You know, like when I just drink some water. The only reason that I don't cough and sputter is because my epiglottitis covered my windpipe so that the water goes down into my stomach and not into my lungs. While Julie's epiglottitis was swollen so that it was starting to cover her windpipe. Praise God for an epiglottitis. For an epiglottis, that's what it is. So he said, if we don't get her emergency medical help, she will suffocate. He looked at me and he gave me a syringe. He said, Debbie, there's epinephrine in here. I need you to come with us because if I have to pull over on the side of the road and perform an emergency tracheotomy, I'm gonna need your help. You're gonna need this so that we can keep the bleeding controlled. That was frightening to me, the idea of having to do an emergency surgery like that on the side of the road in the middle of of winter. So in Berrien Springs, going from his doctor's office to the hospital that he had called ahead and let them know what was going on, so they had prepared the uh, surgical team we had to go down this long road. For those of you who might be familiar with US 31, 30, 30, 31, in Berrien Springs, going from Andrews University, because his office was near Andrews, straight down into South Bend. It was probably a 20-minute drive, and in winter, And it was a two-lane highway. Just you know, and it was always busy. So if you happened to get behind someone who was driving very slowly, or there was a lot of traffic, you weren't going anywhere very quickly. We hopped in the car, and on we were going. And Dr. Johansson kept saying, "There are five of us in this car. There are five of us in this car." So I'm thinking, Dr. Johansson, Allison. Julie and me that was four. Dr. Johansen is a Christian. He knew that Jesus was with us. And he kept saying there are five of us in this car. Much to my amazement, we flew down 3133. It seemed like there wasn't another car on the road. And in the winter the the street was fairly dry. There wasn't slippery spots. There wasn't a lot of snow. It was amazing to me. We get to South Bend. We get to Memorial Hospital. We drive into the emergency area and there's a sea of traffic barriers. There was construction going on. And Dr. Johansen said, oh my good, what na-? He had no idea what to do because everything was blocked off. Well, you see, I had done a rotation at that hospital not long before. And I was familiar with the area and had discovered different ways to get into the hospital quickly. And it kicked in. I said, Dr. Johansson, turn left, and then turn right, and then go down this way. And so then he went down and we were there at the dock area. I said, grab Julie. If we can go up these stairs to the second floor, it'll empty out right onto the surgical floor and you'll be right there. He grabbed Julie took off, went to the second floor, and there they were. The surgical team was there ready, and as soon as he came, he took her right in. And they were able to complete the surgery and save Julie's life. They performed the tracheostomy, the tracheotomy, so that she had a way to breathe while the epiglottis would reduce and the inflammation would go away. That was amazing to me. Now, we talk about this story, and you're saying, okay, we're talking about, you know, praying and asking God for some help. Well, what I learned that was that I was a casual observer with this experience. I wasn't necessarily the one that was crying out to God for a solution. I knew that Allison was praying and crying out to God, please save my daughter, but it was crystal clear to me that God had intervened in so many levels that I would just never forget the the fact that she was able to reach me and that I was able to get her to the doctor's office, that Dr. Johansson knew who I was, that he knew that I could provide some help, that there, was no, there were no barriers or traffic in the, in the streets, you know, going down to the hospital, that when we got to the hospital, there was a way to get around so that we could get in quickly. All of those things were God's intervention. I could never forget that. Or would I? Years ago, I had a number of speaking engagements, and Ray and I traveled quite a bit for ASI, Adventist Layman Services and Industries, a lay organization of the Seventh-day Adventist Church focused on evangelism and witnessing. That's a whole other story of miracles in itself. Well, one particular trip, we were preparing to go somewhere, and of course we were going to fly, and then we needed to rent a car. At that time, we only had a debit card. And the particular car rental that we worked with didn't accept rental uh, didn't accept de- debit cards. And I said, "Well, Ray, what uh, what are we going to do? We didn't really have any other option." And um, we you know kind of twiddled our thumbs and prayed, and well, what, we'll just need to go and see what happens. So we get on our flight, we get to our destination, we're down there by the luggage, and. I'm, re- I'm really going through issues <laughs> about this. How are we going to rent a car when we don't have the proper uh, documents or, or or the way to do that? And I just could not bear to go to the counter with Ray. I said, Ray, you, you go and get the car. I'll just stay here with the, with the luggage and I'll pray. Because I didn't know it was going to happen. And so Ray went and I was praying and praying, Lord, I don't know how... I don't know how this is gonna work out. I just pray that you will intervene in some way. Then I looked up and Ray was there. I said, you're here. And he held up keys to the rented car. I said, what happened? He said, I went to the counter. I gave my identification. I let them know that I had a reservation. The attendant looked, verified all of the information, said, please give me your uh, method of payment. He took the card, did what he had to do, handed me the keys and said, thank you, have a nice day. I said, what? I could not believe it, because if I had gone to the counter, I probably would have said, you know, I just wanna let you know, we only have a debit card, but you know, it's really good, and I think we would be okay. I would really try to work things out myself, mm One of the things I learned from that experience Sometimes you just have to let God be God. You have to ask him for what you need and let him do what he does best. Just let him do his work. Leave the rest up to him. So I started learning from that experience. My faith journey began to grow. And there was my last experience, which was probably the most daunting. I was preaching in Kenya, an evangelistic series. And on this particular night, as we were headed to the site, I noticed something a little bit different in the air. Now, it would rain off and on at a whim there in Kenya. It would rain and stop. So it was not really a big deal. But it usually happened in the day, uh, at least when I was there, there. It didn't really rain much at night. So we got in the car and we proceeded to the site, we got there, and I was growing increasingly uncomfortable because all of the signs in the air were telling me that it was about to rain. And I was concerned because we were not in a building. I had an overhang over my small podium and the one light that I had for my translator and me to speak, But the people who were attending, they were sitting out on the ground. It was open air. It was about 300 people that were coming to hear the word of God. So as I'm preparing and talking with Paul, my translator, I'm saying, uh, you know, I'm just looking because everybody is just going about their business, doing their particular tasks in preparation for the meeting to begin, and no one but me seems to be concerned about the weather. The clouds were billowing. I even felt a couple of drops. I was really, really nervous. Now, have you ever been talking to someone and at the same time talking to God about things? So you're carrying on two different conversations your head. So I was talking with Paul, we were going over the last minute uh, changes and some things with the message. And I'm praying, I'm saying, Lord, what are we gonna do about this? I, I don't know what to do, it's gonna rain and it's gonna rain all over your people. They're gonna scurry and go home because they'll be in the rain, what, what do we do? So we went through the preliminaries, it was time for me to speak. We got up and I looked at Paul and I said, Paul, We need to pray and ask God to hold back the rain so that his people can hear the message. I was shaking in my boots. How could I say that out loud? And so I raised my hand to heaven, and I said, let us pray and ask the God who controls all things to hold back the rain because he knows you need to hear this message tonight. And so I prayed, wondering, would God possibly answer my prayer? When I was praying, I'm thinking, God, but this is on you. What will they think if you don't answer your prayer? I'm going through all these changes in my head while I'm also praying and asking God to hold back the rain. Then, as I finished the prayer, Paul and I stood, and we started with the sermon. And I looked, I remember looking, and it was like it was yesterday. Those billowing clouds with some colors of purple and pink seemed to just stop in midair and just stay there. We preached the sermon. God provided us with a wonderful response to our appeal. People came forward. We made arrangements for them to enter into Bible studies. Uh, We prayed with people. It was a phenomenal, transformative experience for me. And then the people went home. Now, most of these people walk home. So they had a little time before they reached home. And we were finishing up things and making plans for the next night. And we were finished. And I got in my car with my driver and we left. And then the heavens opened and it rained. And I cried because I realized that God had actually answered my prayer and held back the rain. I was pretty amazed because I couldn't believe that God would actually alter the weather for my request, on his, for his glory, because it had nothing to do with me. But why not? Had he not dealt with water issues before? Parting the Red Sea? Making bitter waters sweet? So here's the takeaway. We are people who are cursed with myopia. Hence the title of my message, The Curse of Myopia. Now, myopia is a condition of nearsightedness with an inability to see at a distance. So I'm nearsighted. With, without glasses, I can't see very far in front of me. When I take my glasses off, I'm perfectly fine because I'm nearsighted and I can see everything. Webster's Dictionary also says, lack of imagination, foresight, or intellectual insight. For Christians, I'd say lack of spiritual foresight and divine insight. All we can see is what's happening to us right now. Our focus is limited to me, myself, and I. Now, God does care about us. The things that matter to us matter to Him. Yes, He will meet us where we are, but he doesn't intend for us to stay there. He wants us to see beyond ourselves, to know his will and to follow his way. That's what he had in mind for the children of Israel when he took them on this road trip through the desert. He wanted them to know that he would take care of them and get them to Canaan, the promised land. That's what he has in mind for us, that he will take care of us. And if we keep our hand in his, will get us to heaven, our promised land. Now, to correct this myopic view of things, only seeing what's right in front of us and really not being able to see what's going on in the distance or in the future, we need to see as God sees And the only way to do that is to spend time with him in his word. What God is teaching me is that it requires more than casual reading of the Bible. I'll let that sit in. God is teaching me that I need to dig deeper that I need to spend time in his presence, that I need to pray and ask for understanding. How else will I be able to see as God sees? How else can I be a conduit of blessing to others, a ready witness of his love and his grace? I can't tell what I don't know. I can't show what I haven't seen, and I certainly can't demonstrate what I have not experienced. And I can only know, see, and experience those things by really spending quality, more time delving in to God's word. I might need to look through other translations. I may need to consult and have Spirit of Prophecy, books written by Ellen White, to enlarge on certain passages There are a number of things that we can do that will improve and deepen our study of God's word. What God told ancient Israel is what he tells us today. So you remember what we said in verse 26 of Exodus 15. And he said, if thou wilt diligently with care and persistence Hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight. So it calls for some action and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. This message or that admonition is not just for our physical health. But for our total health, body, mind and spirit, John 15:7 says, "If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, then ye will ask what ye will, and it will be done unto you." Now the key point here is that the more we study God's Word, the more we will be like Him by beholding we become changed. So that whatever we ask... Will be consistent with God's will. The Bible says in Psalm 32 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. We can't fix the curse of myopia, but God can through his word. Proverbs 3 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. He told ancient Israel over and over and over, Trust me. Follow me. I've got this. And over and over, they stepped away, stepped back, stepped to the side, and never really seemed to gain hold of the truth that God would really take care of them if they committed their way and submitted themselves fully to Jesus. God tells us the same thing. I will take care of you in whatever is happening in your life today. Whatever trials or issues you are dealing with, you're not going through it alone. I am here and I will take care of you. Just submit. Let God do what God does best. Trust him, and no matter what he asks you to do or how he directs you, follow him. Ultimately, it will be for your eternal good. If you want to be like me, and I really do want to respond to what God is teaching me, that I need to spend more time that I need to spend deeper time really peering into God's word and understanding what it is that he wants me to do, how he wants me to grow, how he wants me to be and share with others, then I ask that you would pray with me now. Father in heaven, I thank you that you have given us these stories and so much more to help us understand that there is A way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. And that we need to really hold on to your hand and let you lead us. I ask, Lord, that even now, that you will help each of us, all of us, under the sound of my voice, that we will commit ourselves to study and to really work at knowing that we would be diligent and consistent, persistent in knowing your will for our lives. So that we can be ready, and those of us with whom we share your second coming, so that when you come, you can take us all home with thee. Thank you so much for what you do for us, for being patient with us, and for promising never to leave us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.